Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Last week, we heard as Dr. Kinkin talked about how perfectly imperfect Peter was. Peter was the disciple who often asked clarification questions with the parables. Dr. Kinkin told us how, after hearing what other people were saying about him, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter stepped up and gave the right response. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. This response was so on point that Jesus tells him, you are Cephas, the rock. I'll build my church on you. Now, I don't know about you, but hearing that from the man I had been following for the last few years would certainly leave me feeling pretty good about what all I have learned and the kind of disciple I am. If I were Peter, I would be pretty pumped to hear that. Peter was probably even familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, perhaps even Isaiah 28:16 that says, Therefore the Lord God says, Look, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a valuable cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who trusts won't tremble. I wonder if Peter heard Jesus call him the rock on which he would build the church and then began to see himself as a cornerstone. I mean, Jesus had just said he was the rock on which he would build his church. Nothing seems more like a foundational stone than that, right? But then in just six verses, things change drastically. And Peter, the foundation stone, becomes Peter, the stumbling block. I hate to admit it, but you know, I suspect that the same thing could happen to me, and perhaps to you as well. Peter is just one person that shows us how easy it is to be both things. You see that clearly in the next part of Peter's story from Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him, began to correct him, God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. Then Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. 
Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? For the Son of Man is about to come with the majesty of his Father with his angels, and then he will repay each one for what that person has done. I assure you that some standing here won't die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God of all that was and is and is to come, be with us this day. Help us to know of your love for us when we cannot find it. Allow your spirit to pour into us so that we may go from this place well equipped to show your love to all we encounter. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like I said, just last week, we heard the passage that comes right before this one. And you remember now, Jesus told Peter he would be the rock on which Jesus would build his church. But you know, when it comes to building, there's a whole lot of prep work that has to be done before the construction part even gets started. And that's true when it came to the building the church as well. A week after finishing my first year of college, I boarded a plane and after a layover in Miami, landed in Cuba, where I would spend the next two weeks on a mission trip with other Pfeiffer students and one of our professors. One of our main jobs during our time in Cuba was digging the foundation for a water tower they were planning to install. After breakfast each morning, we would grab some shovels and other tools and get to work. When we were first told what we would be doing, I had no idea the amount of work that would actually go into it. Because before we could even think about laying the foundational stone and beginning to put in the water tower, there was quite a bit of prep work we had to do. We ended up digging these holes that were six feet deep, five feet wide, and six feet long. A lot of dirt and rocks and soil had to be removed before we could lay the foundation. Thinking of all the work that went into digging that foundation made me wonder what the prep work was for Peter. What did Peter do and what was done to Peter to get him to the point where Jesus was calling him the rock on which he would build his church? No doubt, much of the prep work that got Peter to this point was simply following Christ the past few years, hearing his parables, seeing his love, and being a recipient of his grace would certainly have removed some of that which held Peter back and freed him up to have a heart ready to become a foundation stone. But this prep work is not always something we want to do. At no point in Cuba did we celebrate how much was left to dig. Peter had a lot of work to do too. And sometimes it wasn't so easy. 
Remember, Peter was the one who got out of the boat to walk to Jesus. It was great at first, but then the wind and waves came and, well, Peter became so afraid that he began to sink. His faith wavered and he called out for Jesus to rescue him. Slowly, though, over time, Peter's faith and trust in Jesus grew until he was able to say to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Once this prep work of Peter's was finished, Jesus called him the rock on which he would build his church. Peter was essentially the cornerstone. Traditionally, the cornerstone was the first stone laid for a structure. It became a reference point for all the other stones to be laid. Now today, we may think of a corner or foundational stone as that decorative and commemorative stone that often has the date the building was dedicated on it. But at times, cornerstones have actually symbolized seeds from which buildings would germinate and rise. For Jesus to have called Peter the cornerstone would have meant that he saw the church learning from Peter, seeing Peter as the starting point of what a disciple of Christ looks like. Peter's faith in Jesus, his recognition of who Jesus was in that moment was the point that Jesus wanted all others to begin from. So for Peter to have just received this compliment from Jesus, it is shocking to read what happens next. Jesus tells the disciples that he will have to suffer many things, that he will be killed, and then in three days that he will be raised. To hear the man you have spent the last few years following say something like this, the man you have just said was the Christ, the Son of the living God, say this would cause any of us to struggle. So it's no wonder what Peter says next. Peter doesn't want to hear such things. None of us would. So Peter takes hold of Jesus and scolds him saying, God forbid, Lord, this won't happen to you. But Jesus cannot accept this. He turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. In what seems like the blink of an eye, Peter went from being a foundational stone to being a stumbling block. So what causes this? What is it that made Peter say these things to Jesus? I often wonder if Peter says, God forbid, Lord, with strength and anger in his voice. Or was it more likely fear and trembling as he almost whispered, God forbid, Lord. Was Peter so overcome at the thought of Jesus' foreshadowing of his death and resurrection that he fell down in that moment, grabbing a hold of Jesus and pleading that this was not the case? Surely not, Lord. But Jesus simply looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. What would this have sounded like when Jesus said it? Did he say it in a joking manner? Oh, Satan, 
get on behind me. Or perhaps with a sense of frustration or anger at Peter. Or maybe in that moment, Jesus's response to Peter was less out of anger and more out of fear and sadness. Did he look at Peter with eyes full of sorrow, knowing that there was nothing anyone could do to stop what was going to happen? How hard was it for Jesus in that moment, seeing how much the disciples needed him, yet also knowing that he would not be with them much longer? Jesus was used to challenging the status quo. He was used to offering grace and abundance in places that had received so little. Having to go against popular opinion was not a new feeling for Jesus. But to have to do it to his disciples, to the ones who knew him best, had to have been difficult. It can be so easy to become stumbling blocks when we forget how our actions will affect others. When we get so caught up in our own lives and our own feelings that we lose focus on our mission in the world around us. A few weeks ago, I was finishing up a run on the strollway. This is a route that I have run many times, both before this particular day and since. Every morning, I leave my apartment and begin my run at that part of the strollway leading into Old Salem, filled with that pavement that's made up with the small rocks, you know. I have run this route countless times. As I had about a half mile or so left to go, I stopped paying attention to where I was going and instead started messing with my watch to see what my pace was. In the few seconds that I took my eyes off of the strollway and onto my watch, my feet misstepped and I found myself disoriented as I slowly stood up with a busted knee and a bruised ego. In just a few moments, this part of the path that had been the point from which I started, where I had run a number of times, suddenly became the spot that led me to falling. It can be so easy to go from helping to hurting without even realizing what is happening. Luckily, however, Jesus was paying attention. Jesus was aware of how Peter must have felt when he heard what was to happen. It would have been so easy for Jesus to fall into the temptation that such a thing couldn't and wouldn't happen to him. To hear Peter calling him the son of the living God and convince himself that of course this won't happen. Surely Jesus wouldn't be killed. But Jesus knew that this was the only way, that to not only listen to, but to believe Peter's rebuke would have been detrimental. In that moment, Peter had been given a choice. Just last week, Jesus wanted him to be a foundational stone, but now he's become a stumbling block. We are all presented with a choice. And like Peter, it can often be easier to turn into a stumbling block. So how is it that we can become a foundational stone instead? Often the easiest thing we can do is say no to ourselves. 
And this does not mean that you need to put yourself down or deny your importance, but instead recognizing that there is an importance to gratification delay. I don't think it's a coincidence that in our society, we often hear of the struggles of credit card debt when we are so bad at saying no. Doing something good usually begins with saying no to something that's not as good. Choosing to pay off a bill or to be content with the furniture you have usually comes after saying no to buying just one more thing. Being a foundational stone calls us to look beyond ourselves and at the larger community at which we are in and asking, where am I helping here? A preacher friend of mine, Jan Britton, recently pointed out that there are three basic things to remember when it comes to happy, faithful, and effective Christian living. The first of these is time spent in Scripture, because that is how God speaks to us. The second is time spent in prayer, because that is how we speak with God. And the third is time spent in Scripture and prayer with the people of God because that prevents us from reading into the scripture what we want without the viewpoint of anyone else. All three of these are central because all three of these together emulate so beautifully how we are called to live in this world. The more Jan talked, the more I realized that if we can do all three of these, then we are well on our way to becoming foundational stones for the kingdom of God. By getting in the word, we are reminded of who it is we are called to be. Spending time in prayer helps us to keep our focus on God, and doing both of these in fellowship with one another keeps us from focusing only on ourselves. At the end of this passage, Jesus says, I assure you that some standing here won't die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I believe that when Jesus said this, he was talking about how our own actions can bring about God's kingdom here on earth. Every time someone becomes a foundational stone for the purposes of God, the kingdom breaks in. This is not a one and done thing. Kingdom inbreaking is constant as God's people live faithfully and truthfully. As we get away from those things that cause us to be stumbling blocks and get closer to that behavior that allows us to be foundational stones, we will see this kingdom coming about more and more. And I can't think of a better place to start this work than right here in our own congregation, a congregation that can be filled with foundational stones. Foundational stones that grow and develop into buildings dedicated to God that show up all across our city, state, country, and world. And here's the good news and reason to rejoice. We do not have to do this work alone. In our small groups and Sunday school classes, we find those contractors who are ready to do the work with us. In our mentors and those who have gone before us, we can see the building plans that have been imagined. 
And most importantly, in the life of Christ, we can see that even when we slip and fall, even when we find ourselves looking more like a stumbling block than a foundational stone, we have a Savior who is looking back at us saying, Come, follow me, and I will show you what the coming of the kingdom looks like. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.